My name is Pranesh Mahashankar and this is the Business Podcast. Uh, welcome to this episode of the Biznod podcast. Uh, in today's episode, we have the CEO of Profit Pay, uh, Mr. Chase uh, Hammer, and uh, he is building an interesting business in what seems to be a crowded market with payments processing and fintech. Uh, but I think he's got an interesting spin on it. And uh, happy to have you here, Chase. Yeah, Thank no. you for coming. It's going to be here. Uh, you know, glad to like kick around some ideas and uh, let you guys know what we're doing. Yeah, uh, perfect. Uh, I just want to touch base on uh, a theme that we had in our prior conversation, which is everyone's a consumer. Yeah. Where you said, you know, the tierage between consumer and enterprise doesn't make sense, especially in fintech. Do you mind mm-hmm. expanding on that? Well, I think that... Um, Fintech, I mean, I think in fintech specifically, uh, it's kind of snobby, right? It's like, we're business, we're this, we're that. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you're serving a customer, you know, and as customers, we've been trained to buy a certain way for a long period of time. So I feel like the idea of talking to a business like a business is ridiculous because who's on the other end of that business is a person that's buying like a consumer. You know, they're just, you just need to talk to them differently as far as like, what you're selling, but the right. concept's the same. You know, you're not. There's no business to business. I think the concept of B to B and B to B to C is is uh, is ridiculous. The only thing that's different is that it's a business product, not that necessarily that you need to talk to them differently because they're a business. Honestly, and that's 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 where I was going with that. And and the, can you talk about how that sort of um, shows up in the messaging? that you had profit pay take, um, you know, with brand building and all that, how, how does, how has that informed your messaging? Well, I think when we started, um, just like normal fintechs and payment processing companies and things like that, we, we, I saw it more as a platform, like, Hey, we're a solution, you know? And then when you see yourself that way, you see it very businessy. Right. Um, so I think we got caught up in the same exact thing that I'm talking about here is that, you know, we were presenting to the market this the solution you know whereas we really need to be focused on the benefit of the product that we're delivering right just like a consumer buys because their baby needs diapers right these you know they they buy because there's a problem right they don't buy because the, the diapers are stop. like you know you know it's like it's like you can't sell like the diaper you know, you sell the problem, the, the baby's pooing. It's like, you got to put something on his butt, right? Yeah. That's, that's the solution. It's like, uh, or that's the actual benefit, right? Um, solving that poo problem, you know? So I think we actually try to go out there and, and, and be like, look at all the things we can do. Look at uh, the platform. And but we don't necessarily say, hey, this is the direct benefit that you're going to get from this platform. Most fintech companies and stuff, we have, oh, we're going to save you money or we're going to do this. It's like, it's pretty boring. Um, and, and honestly, there's no motivation from a, from a buyer uh, mm-hmm. just to click on a thing that's like, oh, I'm going to save you money. Well, I mean, everyone says that, right? Mm. So it's like, it's not clickable. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I think I saw this interesting quote from, I think he's uh, the, the farmer, current head of product at Stripe or like a product engineer at Stripe, something like that. And he says, 
that fintech is basically about getting people money faster. It's actually not about saving money. And right. Yeah, it's about saving time. So I think Again, what is that? What is that? That's the benefit. That right? is the benefit. Right. That's the benefit. But see, the yeah. best, the biggest companies in the world that are very, very successful at this, you look at their how they're marketing. They're marketing the benefit. They're not marketing the solution. You know, and I think for the longest mm. time, most of the most of the the business is really uh marketing the solution. You know, it's like, well, unless you're specifically really need that particular solution for whatever reason that can mm. cost any rent. You're, you're really, most business owners are trying to solve problems in their business, mm. right? Mm. Mm. So, you know, what's the benefit of, of solving that problem? And I think that's really what we got to focus on and how we've really kind of changed gears and started serving our customers better, you know? And and let's, let's sort of continue along that, you know, um, trail of breadcrumbs that you just like started. And, you know, you had a very interesting, you made a very detailed point about why infrastructure was so critical to making your business work. Can yeah. you share what is your philosophy and what are your tactics around, you know, making the investments required to set up the payment rails as well as the other, you know, sort of um, what used to be traditionally back office operations that yeah. you're, you're sort of automating through software? Like, how are you thinking about all of that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, most entrepreneurs were cowboys, right? So we're out there uh, and we're like, yeah, like we're going to solve this problem. Let's go, you know? But then you start trying to scale because, hey, like it's attractive. People are like, okay, what are you doing? Um, and then you realize really quickly that you can't scale because you can't serve your customers. Um, so I think there's a uh, back in office and operations. Now, that's the last thing that most people think about. Um, and it certainly was the last thing that I thought about. I was just going out there trying to, you know, conquer the world with you know new products. Um, but when you don't actually have processes and, and things in place, what happens is, is um, it's it's just becomes chaotic, and you know there's no direction and there's no accountability. And as you grow an organization um, without that stuff in stone, um, first it's like building a house of sticks, you know. So like, you know, you might look like a pretty house on the outside, but it's like, it's fucking right. pile of crap underneath that, you know? Right. So I think that ultimately is where the rubber meets the road for anyone that's trying to build a scalable company um, right. or a software company that, that has the ability to scale. Right. They really have to take a step back. And it's like, uh, uh, take a step back to, to go slow and to go fast, right? So it's like, right. you, gotta, you gotta go slower to go faster. And right. it's like, it goes against everything that you want to do because time right. is the greatest enemy and you feel like you're losing time by doing these things. But if you don't right. do it, it's going to crush you later. Right. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, could you educate us a little bit about what the sort of boring details of setting this up are? Like, um, I'm, I'm talking just like licenses, regulatory stuff. What, what are yeah. boring you know, what we are, what we normals who aren't in fintech, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, um, depending upon the business that you're in, um, you know, there's in our business compliance, um, there's a lot of regulation, there's a lot of compliance, um, you know, in ultimately, all the fintechs act like they're in charge, the banks still hold our balls. Right. So at the end of the day, like, you know, they, they're like, oh, we don't like it anymore. They'll turn you off. Right. So like, 
The reality is, is in order to be a successful fintech, you can't just scale revenue. Like you literally have to make the bank feel comfortable. If the bank doesn't feel comfortable, that's all compliance work. That's KYC work. That's um, making sure that you know your businesses that you're boarding, making sure that you know the customers, who are the, where are they spending money? Um, right. you know, being able to monitor all those transactions in and out, even on the payments gateway and then the card issuing side. Uh, that becomes extremely complex and it's, it's very expensive. You know, so like it's one of those things that like if you want to do it, like you got to go, forgive my French, but this is French, right. balls deep. You know, it's like you have to go all the way in. And like if you don't, uh, then, you know, you're, you're basically going to be uh, halfway out of business pretty much because the banks really like on a flip of a switch could like shut off your whole life. You right. know what I mean? Right. And um, it really comes down to com the compliance work, which is the boring part of the business. And it very costly and very time consuming, you know? So, I mean, that, that's really part of the value of being a FinTech is that you create all these compliance policies and, and compliance. Uh, so the bank feel comfortable so you can scale. I mean, that's part of the, being a FinTech. Um, sorry, do you mind giving me one second? I'm so sorry. There's some sure. like, disturbance. Just give me like 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah, I'll be yeah. back. Okay. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No worries. I, there was some disturbance outside. I just had to have that fixed. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I what? Um. So you you must have you know certain banking partners to make your to make everything work. What are the conversations with these banking partners like? Um. Well, I mean, it's a process. So you know, part of part of building fintech, part of building software technologies is these conversations start, banks move slow. So like, you know, although you might be moving fast, you're really um, kind of held captive by how fast are gonna let you run. And they don't, like I said, going back to the previous conversations, they don't let you run fast until they understand that it's safe to let you run fast, right? Yeah, so, but that's mostly a subjective call, isn't it? That's, that's basically them making a subjective determination or is there, are there like particular like- I risk think frameworks? it's not necessarily subjective. It's, it's, it can be, so this is, it could be subjective if you let it be, right? So like the, right. What, the point is, and this is why we have a chief of compliance because you know, you, the bank feels secure when they know that there's somebody back there that knows their shit. Right. So right. like they've been in there, they, they've done a big organization. So like a chief of compliance officer for FinTech is a big hire. Mm -hmm. um, if most people think, well, a CTO, it's like, not really, dude. You don't need somebody mm -hmm. back there pressing buttons. What you need is a badass head of engineering and a bunch of full stack engineers. And you don't necessarily need a CTO because uh, I mean, I don't think initially, I think eventually, yeah, but like, the biggest hires that you'll need and the most important hires that you'll need is probably the CFO, um, a badass CFO that can help you raise money mm. uh, and a CCO to help your banks mm. to, to make sure that your banks feel good about mm. the relationship. You know, so if you can keep the banks at, at bay mm. and get a guy that or a girl that can come in and help you raise a lot of cash mm. um, and knows how to put together the company so that it looks like it's showing the right exact, it's looking 
it's meeting all the qualifications that investors are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just ways to position a company, I think, and most founders, we're not, we don't understand how to do that. And in, in mm-hmm. fintech, I think that the valuations are so all, all over the place. It is fairly subjective, um, you know, from who, whatever third party is doing it, there's objective mm-hmm. and subjective, but I feel like, um, you know, in order to get the right valuations, you have to have the right people in the seats because mm. that adds to the valuations and, and what mm. you're capable of getting in the market. Mm. I yeah, I think so. Two points. Right, one Keith Rabai, the he's he's like a uh, you know GP uh, at um, uh, Founders Fund, and he's an open door and all that. He, so his he has an interesting point about this. You want you want to hire for value creation, which is all your like crazy superstar engineers and product people, and then you, you you're hiring for value protection. Yeah. And that's where your CFOs and your chief compliance officers come in. And basically what he says in his post, you've uh, described like to the team. Yeah. That's uh, like the, those are the most important hires, right? And I think when you're building your team, probably the most important engineering hires, because you don't, maybe you might not have capital to, um, you know, get all the engineers that you need, right? You need to use, right. you need a user, you need a front end, you need a back end, you need a mm-hmm. DevOps, you need, but like, um, I think it's better to get senior engineering talent, like, but full stack if you can. Um, they're rarer breeds, but like, if you're building a ninja team and you only have a certain amount of bandwidth, you know, I would I would uh, suggest getting some really good engineers full stack that can help do front end work and back end work, um, mm-hmm. and have some experience with DevOps. Um, you know, if, if you're going to get an engine team, those are probably the best guys to get. Understood. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, let's go back to when, when you started. So uh, in our prior conversation, you said that you started in the hospitality business and uh-huh. you sort of uh, educated yourself about payment processing and why it's pretty broken. Um, you know, uh, would you, do you mind just going over that story and just sharing with us? Yeah, so, um, you know, when I was 28, uh, I had, uh, this is actually kind of funny story. I had like three hotels at the time, actually, as a payment processor, but our platform as a company probably had thousands, but I personally did a few. And I go into, uh, I got invited to uh, the second largest hotel association in the world. They're like, listen, we like, we want to run a program. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um Go out, I flew out to South Padre Island. I walk into this room, it's a brand new hotel, huge Hilton, uh, massive, a um, lot of empty rooms. So I'm just like, I'm like, oh shit, like this is like crazy. Like what did I get myself into? I only got three hotels. Um, I walk into this room and it's 80 hoteliers, right? All of them are Indian and all of them are in suits. Probably, I mean, I'm 28, so everyone's like in their 30s, 40s and 50s. And each one of those guys had five to 10 hotels each, right? So more than I had in my whole entire portfolio, right? So I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. Like I was so nervous um, that I threw up. And I uh, I started, I, I got into the, the meeting. It was like a horseshoe like this, right? So I'm in the middle of this horseshoe, you know, talking and like, right when I started, this guy goes, how many hotels do you have? <laughs> I was like thousands um, because I knew our platform had thousands and you just shut up. And I ended up getting at it. I got that association and um, I scaled it out to thousands of properties. Um, the moral of the story is that um, hotels uh, were very retail, right? Um, at the time in, in 
what the biggest problem in the hotel industry was, was no shows, right? People booking reservations and then not showing up to the reservation. Mm -hmm. After it's like a, it's a big, huge revenue loss, room loss uh, for hoteliers. And so I set out to solve that problem and basically tie consumers to transactions to eliminate the no-shows that were happening at hotels. And I ended up raising uh, like 650,000 uh, from the hotels, hoteliers. Um, actually, mm. um, one of the guys that was at that meeting mm. in South, South Padre Island ended up becoming on my board of directors mm. and our biggest investor, sure, huh. outside of me. Wow. Um, and then we ended up raising another $25 million in building technology. I had no idea. I was a, I mean, I had the vision, right? And I, and I knew that um, I wanted, I, would been, I had been payments for 19, uh, since I was 19 before, before that. So like pretty much all my adult life in the credit mm -hmm. card business. But, you know, I, I knew that um, in order for us to be relevant and actually add value long-term, that we were going to have to, I had to figure out how to, um, to create some sort of technology that would, uh, and that was our first stab at it. And that actually turned into uh, many, many uh, different things. And, um, you know, we ended up, uh, you know, just brought us to what we have today, but that was the, we were originally trying to solve that one problem and um, it, which was kind of like a fraud prevention type of problem. Very again, siloed. You know, so I built that, then we built the gateway, then we became a car insurer, then we pushed on the payment rails, and it was like one thing after another. Never stopped building. Um, it was we never stopped building and uh, never took a break. It was just constantly ongoing. Uh, but that's also very painful, uh, and it's like and it's not it's not easy to make revenue when you're constantly building all the time because stuff's not stuff's broken, right? Okay. So if you're trying to, you can't really scale if it's if all the parts aren't seamlessly put together. So right. it was a real big sacrifice. I mean, we was like five, six years of building, you know, before we mm -hmm. could actually really start making significant revenue. I mean, we were making million to two million every year up until we started scaling and we we broke through that barrier. But I mean, it was um, you know two million dollars a year, two million dollars plus for a long time. And that's just basically, that's just, just like regular revenue. That wasn't us trying to go scale. It was just, just uh, out in the market trying to build product, you know? Right. Yeah. Um. Uh, so you spoke about how you're a non-technical founder. Yeah. What are the, so I think obviously we know the challenges um, that's been fairly well documented. But what are the pros of not being a non-technical founder? Well, um, I think we're, I guess ignorance is bliss. It's not really actually, it's a lie. Um, because, you know, um, you'll find out real quick that if you don't have the right people in the right seats, and that comes from you not understanding what you actually need. Um, right. You know, I think the benefits is, is that, you know, I'm probably the greatest, I mean, I'm I, not streaming my home, but I'm very, very good at bringing in massive clients. Um, so most engineers and technical people don't have those types of skills. Uh, right. So like I'm, I mean, I don't know anyone better than me at that, uh, but I honestly, that's my gift. And I think I'm able to also keep a lot of people on, on the bus. Um, I'm a charismatic leader. So like, I think it's um, part of the job of the founder is really to keep the, uh, the ships are burning a lot of the times, right? Because you're trying to build, there's fucking chaos everywhere. Um, you know, fires, the new fires every day. It feels like you're taking steps back when you're, even though you're making progress. Right. I feel like, um, 
a blessing is that I've always, I've been really good at keeping the people on the bus, you know, right. what I mean? so keeping them focused on the vision. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the most important jobs of the founder is, is in probably the most important job as a founder and CEO is, is keep people, keeping people on the bus while you're building your vision, right? okay. uh, because people will not see it. It takes them a while to see what you see. Right. right. And you know, they might be like, yeah, yeah, I see it. Like they don't fuck can see it you know what i mean so like you know it's it's a constant you know and and if you go through like if you're building constantly and you're going through years of building mm -hmm. um you know people start to lo lose faith you know so i think right. you know what i mean because they're like what am i doing like so i think you i've been good at keeping people engaged and you know keeping them uh focused on the vision even though like it took a long time to get there you know um, I I want to shift gears again and ask you about the story of how you were brought up, your early life, uh, your uh, hero's journey, um, and just sort of see how the dots connect to how you lead profit pay and how sure. you make the profit pay. Yeah, so um, you know, my my mom was a school teacher, my dad was an electrician, so I grew up. Uh, my parents were like hardcore Democrats, um, you know, and um, they wanted me to be an electrician. Um, I told them no. Um, <laughs> you know, I was like, I got a gift. I got to go do something, you know. But, right. um, right. you know, but I think you know it was modest, you know, middle middle class, um, you know. But I've always wanted um, more, you know. Mm -hmm. and I have a, I think I've always been an underdog, you know, so it's, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a small, I'm like five, eight, right. So like my whole life I was shorter. So I played college football and like, yeah, it's like always had to prove myself over and over and over, right. you know what I mean? Right. So I feel like, wait, did you like, play college football? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah. So I know I got a full track scholarship to Cal Poly and, and I played out there a couple of years and, um, you know, and then, uh, I ended up hurting my knee and then I, dropped, I lost my track scholarship and, and football. Oh, wow. I actually just, I started a business when I was uh, 19 years old. So huh. um, in the credit card processing space, that's, you know, and then uh, my mom gave me $3,000 to uh, me and three of my friends. We all got $3,000 from our parents. And hey. um, $9,000 is a lot of money. It is <laughs> a lot of money. Things. Believe me, I'm a student. I I know I know the nine thousand goes a long way. <laughs> well, it goes it goes a long way, but when you're building a business, it doesn't really go that far, you know. So it's like you know, yeah. you know, and in the the biggest problem that I think I made initially um, was with that it was that I didn't know the third person, um, and he ended up I ended up hating that guy, and okay. um, like I couldn't get along with these guys, and so. It just didn't end up working out, um, but it was, a, right. you know, it's any entrepreneur out there that's building something. If you're getting a partnership, make it's like a marriage, man. So I got to make sure that you really know this person, that you trust this person. And this is something anybody that you want to build a business with. Mm -hmm. And you should always build loophole, a whole like things into your contract that mm -hmm. allow you guys to, you know, split the business up if you guys aren't, aren't going to make it. You know what I mean? I basically ended up walking away from that business because we just were at odds, even though the majority of the clients were mine. Mm -hmm. And I uh, started my own right after that. Um, it was called Power Payment Incorporated. Mm -hmm. Power Payment, we still own as a corporation. It's a holding corporation for our investments today. But right. um, and uh, that ended up turning into, uh, you know, what is today profit pay? But I think, it, you know, it was a 
um, you know, underdog story, you know, like just always, I, I basically bootstrapped the first 2 million in my own pocket before I started raising cash because I wasn't a technical founder. So like, I, you know, it's always against the odds a little bit, you know, and I think that but that's what really makes me who I am is that I never gave up on myself. And I think the biggest thing, you know, for any founder out there, legitimately or anybody that's looking to grow a business is it's harder than you think and you're going to need more money than you think mm -hmm. and it takes way longer than you think mm -hmm. so like you know you think you're going to turn around and create this product and be able to go to market and it's it's not like that um mm -hmm. you know so it just takes longer than you're anticipating so you know it really just takes somebody that's you just got to really realize what you're getting yourself into right it's not yeah. like you know, if you want to just be like a side hustle or something, okay, you know, but like, if you're trying to build something that's with value later, like it just takes a lot of sacrifice and, and it takes a lot more sacrifice than most people are willing to, to give. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's why over like 90% of all founders fail, you know? Um, I think there's a, there's a, you know, we've, we've been through the pandemic. I think there's an epidemic of bullshit entrepreneurs. To be totally blunt, like, I mean, especially being at a university, you get this perspective. It's it's very reminiscent of what getting an MBA was 20 years ago. Oh, I, I mean, like, it's like, it's like everyone knows a real estate person, right? It's like, come on. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Like, you do like one house every two years, it's fucking, mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not real. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So like, people call themselves entrepreneurs. The truth is, I think the difference between an entrepreneur and a mm -hmm. founder the founder is willing to go all the way and sacrifice it all you know mm. entrepreneur you know in my mind um mm. you know once it starts getting tough they switch mm. over to something else you know what i mean because they're not entrepreneur because they don't want to work for someone else but you know it's a, here's a here's actually a funny story and that because some uber drivers think they're entrepreneurs but like my buddy goes he goes yeah this guy was telling me he's like his own boss and stuff like that and he's like now he told him to turn left I was like, he was in the backseat to told the driver to turn up. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's like, he's like, because the guy was like talking about how he's supposed to have boss and then the back up. Yeah, I think we're all, <laughs> we all work for, some, for somebody. At the end of the day, right? Like, at the end of the day, like, uh, you know, you're not an entrepreneur if you work for Uber, right? So, I, yeah. you know what I mean? That's not real. Uh, I, I think the PR department of uh, Uber would be irate at your statement. I mean, just, 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 you're, a ten, you're a 1099 contractor for sure, but you're definitely not an entrepreneur. So. <laughs> I mean, I think I I like to be my own boss. Whenever I hear that instantly, like there's like 10 alarm bells that go off. I'm like, oh God, I'm going to hate this conversation. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I try to be nicer most, to most their the face. That, most of the people that feel like they need to talk to you about there being an entrepreneur are people that really haven't done anything yet. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, uh, you know, people that are doing stuff, they're, they're quiet. You don't hear them because they're fucking working all the time. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. that's really what it takes is a yeah. like, tremendous amount of hours, um, mm. sleepless nights and, and dedication. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, one thing that intrigued me about like getting you as a guest was you have almost zero press. There was some random article from two years ago. That was like the best press I could find. <laughs> like, is that an intentional decision? Like that you don't? Um, no, I think press is good, right? And I think actually like uh, there is there is a lot of press 
I don't think you've personally like uh, sought out press for yourself. I think Profit Pay has a lot of press. Yeah, Profit Pay right? has a lot. It's not really necessarily about me because I, I and I'm kind of like one of those guys that where I don't I compare myself to everyone else. So that's not what you're supposed to do as an entrepreneur. But, right. You know, because I constantly feel like I like I'm dog shit. You know, because right. you know, who do I compare? I don't compare myself to like some average people. Like well, fuck, like these guys are crushing, dude. Like this right. guy just started this company three years ago. He's fucking billion dollar unicorn. What right. the fuck? Like you know right. what I mean? Like, what you know what I mean? So like if you constantly compare yourself, and I have like a lot of very wealthy friends that are very successful, right. um, and that's um, you know because of the environment that I've kept like around. However, but like they're crushing. You know when you're building something like. And you're constantly building it's hard you know especially if you're like seeing other people that have success because you're like god damn it like you know you're like right there you know what i mean yeah. you feel it you know but it's like yeah you're not there yet so i think to that point i would say you know to not compare yourself but like i have a pretty bad uh problem of doing that mm -hmm. so like i don't feel like i'm worthy enough for that press until we mm -hmm. get to a place where i feel like i am you know so mm -hmm. I just kind of stay out of the stay out of the press personally, um, just just until I feel like um, I deserve it. You know. Wow, that's 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 quite the statement. Well, the other thing is that's my personal thing. Is it's actually a problem. Like I feel like any founder that's looking to go out there and raise capital and do all these mm. things, like mm. you know, we have a real story now. So like I don't have to. It doesn't have to be about me, right? But I think. Um, you know, if you're trying to build something, you need to start building up your personal brand too. It's really mm. important. Um, it's really important uh, for people to do that. Um, mm. You know, I think just, it, even if you're not out there doing press releases and stuff, mm. just, you know, building up your social profiles, you know, getting new friends all the time, you know, uh, getting an audience uh, because, you know, when you do have the ability to have a voice that matters, mm. um, people will listen to you. And I feel like, mm you know, you don't matter, uh, you know, you're not relevant until you matter in my mind, you know, like people, you can go up and do a podcast, but no one's going to give a shit unless you're like, unless like people feel like they're going to get something out of it. You know, it's like, right. that's, that's, unfortunately, that's just the way that it is. You know, it's like, you might get some nuggets of gold from somewhere, but people just mm. don't listen. Right. I, yeah. I mean, to be, I mean, the, the, that's the thing with this podcast as well, right? Like, even if there's like a high quality conversation, like I still have to invest a lot of time into putting it out there. And frankly, like it's hard to do that as a full-time student. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, the, I mean, like to be, I, I'm competing with people who have like big bankrolls and are putting out these podcasts. I mean, it is wild. Yeah, how, I mean, it's a, it's a podcast is a full-time job. You know, it's like, a full-time job yeah so if you want to get quality people like and you want to actually scale your user base and it's it's a lot of work it's mark it's like a, i mean i did a podcast a long time ago and uh it just became so much work that i was like dude this is, i can't i can't juggle the two between like trying to make money and like yeah. trying to do this you know but it's i it's, think, it I is think if you have the resources it, to like go build a team like, yeah. if you can spend a even like 50 grand a year on a yeah. podcast, if you're not dumb, you should be able to have like hundred thousand listens per episode. Yeah, if you like, get fifty Gs a year, like you could have a pretty solid uh, setup, and you can have it like, you know, you can have new guests coming in all the time, and you can have yeah. doing the, the grunt work that you ultimately need to have done if you're going to be successful. Because you don't have time. right, 
you know? right yeah um i i want to ask you yep. like i i did some homework and it said that you were bootstrapped for a little bit before you raised your first round of financing uh-huh. so what was the decision making like was it under your control or was it sort of like by chance that you you just couldn't like at that time raise money like how did that all play out i think it was more of a you know honestly i feel like if you have a good enough story you can go raise money there's nothing that's going to stop you from doing that i was right. my own self limitate limiting beliefs honestly in right. the beginning because i had already had success i had made millions of dollars um in the hotel business hmm. and um in my early 30s and and i was uh i um uh, didn't have any technical experience. So I just mm. felt like, even though I had a great idea, I didn't know what to do. Like mm. who to go talk to, like right. what process to take. Like, you know, it's like, uh, it's kind of like, you just have to figure that shit out. You know, and mm. luckily like what I did was uh, I, I put some of my own cash together and then I started building a proof of concept. And, and then we had, a, I mean, like non, non like legit uh valuation it was like a million bucks right and this is back like forever ago um you know like 2014 or something right so a um, million dollars in 2014 was pretty legit for a seed round well yeah so like yeah in 2014 yeah 2014. yeah yeah so, so like so i i raised so i basically raised uh 650 000 and then Uh, but I put my own money in first, right? Mm. Um, because I just felt like people wouldn't believe me. Now, that's not necessarily true. You know, I mm. think, you know, looking back on it, I had my own self-limiting beliefs because I was just like, I was convinced, oh, shit, I'm a non-technical founder. I have this great idea about who the fuck's going to believe me, right? Mm. So I think the first step is to not do that, <laughs> to not okay. like, put self-limiting beliefs on you yourself. I think you know, okay. mine just sparked some ideas that one of the things that I felt like I did wrong, which made right. it created additional work later was I was thinking too small. Um, you know, like I was trying to solve this problem for hotels, right? And that was yes. it. And it ended up, we ended up creating it, but it was like this siloed product. Then when we were trying to build, it was like, we had to like connect all these things, you know? So it was like, we weren't thinking big enough, but going back to the foundation, you know, like laying out the foundation, the architecture, so right. you can actually scale. Uh, so, right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, how do you think about fundraising now? Because I'm pretty sure you could go and raise a big fat round if you wanted to. I mean, it's, yeah. so right now, like your operation isn't small, but it was by any stretch of the imagination, right? Well, so right, so right now, I mean, I feel like, Uh, so we actually are going to be raising money online. So um, $50,000 ahead. So yeah. people are like, it's, it's the consumer experience. People want to participate in stuff. Um, you know, Ty Lopez, which is a complete douchebag, and, right. uh, you know, but he, he's raised a lot of money online, like significant mm-hmm. capital, hundreds of millions of dollars for like brands that were bankrupt, you know, um, for them to turn them around. It's like, really? Um, right. You know, like Radio Shack, like for real, like right. we're in the hottest space in the world. FinTech's the hottest space in the world, the highest valuations right. of all time. So if you have a good idea and you can get some infrastructure and just a little bit of traction, honestly, mm-hmm. you don't have to even show that much traction at this point. You know, you can just show, look at, like, look at, look at the, look what we're doing. Over the last three months, we've done this, you know, like the last, so like, you know, one of the things that my board of directors was telling me is like, yo, when you go out to raise money, it's like, 
the last three months of the year, I did as much revenue as I did the year before, right? So like basically like essentially the showing the scale of that, I think in, in focusing on the key parts of that is what really what, uh, did that, did that come through yet? Or did that, did that have a gap? I think, I think it broke for like okay. five seconds. So sorry, could you, my okay. bad, sorry. No, I don't yeah. know what I'm saying actually. I was like, no, no, that's fine. You, I, I think you were in a good flow. Please continue. Um, yeah. So I think, um, you know, raising online is where we're focused. So we're actually folk raising raising money online from accredited investors, um, and we build right. funnels, funnels for this. So we have video content funnels that take a user all the way through, and then they get into a call with oh. us, with me, and then we basically. Just like it's pretty simple. So right, yeah. So so your goal is to have like more like everyday people as shareholders. Well, listen, accredited investors, not everyday people, right? So like, um, I think accredited investors. There's the what makes somebody accredited is they have to make at least two hundred thousand a year or have at like one. 1 million or more. I forget exactly. Yeah. 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 But it's something along those lines. So, you know, they have to, they have to, you know, uh, confirm and attest that they're accredited, but essentially um, we're not actually having to go to talk to venture capital people. I can go and acquire leads from uh, people that are looking to divest from the market for like mm -hmm. 50 to $55 a pop and um, qualified people that have the money to invest. Right. Mm -hmm. And, they're excited about the opportunity because guess mm. what? When was the last time you get a call from Stripe and said, hey, dude, you want to invest? It's like, yeah, well, like, fuck, if I had the ability to do that, mm. sure. I mean, people don't get the ability to do that anymore. So like, oh. you know. What, what what platform are you using for this? Are you using AngelList, uh, the RUV no, vehicle? We're using our own. So we basically created our own funnels and we're doing it. I'm not going to pay some crowdfunding uh, platform 5% of the money that they bring in. Uh, right. So like, you know, and, and I'm not suggesting, there's platforms are out there because they make it easy, right? Right. We're basically at a point where we're not a startup, right? So mm -hmm. like, I mean, we're a startup, but we're not um, like, hey, like, you're not like pre-seed, you have like maybe an MVP and you're like, go out mm -hmm. there. You know, I think that's great for that type of stuff. And yeah, who cares about 5% if you get a million bucks and you've only needed half a million, you know, great, right? Um, but like, we're looking to raise $100 million online. Um, you know, wow. you don't use platforms like like that for those types of raises, right? And, and you're what, you're basically, you've created, how, how are you structuring this? Like, are you um, using- Carta, we use Carta to house our data wow. and all that. Okay. So. Uh, they, they manage our cap table. So essentially what we do is we create an LLC for the raise and then all these new investors get plopped into the LLC. So it's a multi-member uh, LLC that becomes exactly, a shareholder. Exactly. So they sign up on the LLC um, when they've, when they, if they guys, and we're, we're making any individual investor can be from 50,000 to a million bucks. Right. Understood. And so they just, and they just get plopped into the LLC and they just, until we actually finish our raise, Think and then all those once we close the cap table, once we close the raise, then that's when we're actually gonna uh that's the strike price that'll be set for the shares and right. and allocated out to all the investors. Right. Um I want to ask you, uh, how do you 
how do you you know deal with the challenges of hiring and onboarding people on prof- in profit pay because although i mean it's not a small and potatoes operation by like revenue and cash flow i'm assuming you're still like fairly tight in terms of team because i from the yeah. sound of it you've been careful about you know picking people and putting them in your operation yeah how do you no. think about hiring and you know recruiting well, onboarding yeah so now i think i'll give you my list of what like a first time founder founder would need like what's the most important roles for a software company um you know when i was doing this initially i was all over the place i didn't know what i needed i just thought engineers it's like right. what fucking type of engineers like right i don't know like you know what i mean so like i feel like um growing a software company you need someone that's in devops and architecture first that they actually can help design the platform but also mm-hmm. like make sure that the vision's correct you need mm-hmm. a good quarterback too and so just like when i was playing wide receiver in high school right. you know, i was best friends with the quarterback right, right. quarterback you, why because he tosses me the ball right right um you know and he does what i say and he and you know we're on the same page right you right. know we're like a team you know the quarterback for a software operation is your project manager right so mm. not necessarily the product manager product manager is great if you're building product okay right. but like if you already have product and you have an idea you you basically have it's just execution at that point it's managing the priorities exactly yeah. so like it is all about accountability and process so like your project manager is your greatest weapon to make sure that you're meeting all your expectations on your sprints with your engineers and right. having guys that are more versatile as opposed to getting people that are pigeonholed as a user experience role like user experience obviously for fintech it's everything but um you know if you're building out foundational and you're building your infrastructure things right. more important to have a full stack engineers than it is to have a user experience person user experience right. you can have later after you build your mvp you know and then you go and perfect the product make it better you know but um and then executive roles um you know probably for the c suite the most important ones that you'll need obviously you're the ceo founder but you have the chief of compliance the cfo and i think an operations person you know all the rest of those c chief executive roles like aren't necessarily as important um in my mind i think that you can you can get away for years without having the rest of those roles filled um you know as long as you have a good person in operations you have somebody in in compliance and you have somebody that understands the financial margins of the business you know part you, you also don't want somebody that's just back there pressing buttons you know we've hired a lot of big executives from like Amex and like these other places and and although like you're like oh i got this guy from Amex i don't know who's like doing like look at him like a cool they don't do shit like you know it's easy to hide in an operation as big as like an amazing Amex is is a huge corporation is really easy to hide you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So even guys that ha- or girls that have like these big titles, they might not necessarily be worth what they're paying them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, you need to make sure that accountability is the biggest priority inside your organization, mm-hmm. and you need to make sure that you set process for that. Because if you don't set process for that, and you follow up with your team here and mm-hmm. there, and they're like, "We're working on it, we're working on it," you'll never get any results. You'll never have. Funny you mentioned that. You know, because um, I think one of the best case studies in corporate history. is uh when Marissa Mayer the former CEO of Yahoo took over and what happened after she took over right and she was um one of the top executives at Google and was super legendary with like she created the 
associate product manager program, super respected. And then she comes in and basically initiates the large, one of the largest destructions of shareholder value we've seen in history. Uh-huh. And for me, that was interesting because, you know, she got the job because she was in Google, mm. right? Like she, she, she wouldn't have gotten the job otherwise. And Google gave her the cover to get to that next opportunity. And I think that's a big issue with, you know, how hiring works. It's, yeah, it's I mean, so like pretty specifically, yeah, people, you got to watch out because people are just looking for that title so they can yeah. use it to get, to get, uh, to leverage that for the next job. You know, right. so like you, you know, I think it's important to get people invested into the vision. So they understand like, Hey, there's an extra strategy here. And if you tell people like our goal is to sell in a couple of years, right? So mm-hmm. like, I want to sell, make a big check. I don't want to work for a few years, right? I just want to check. Right. Invest, right. You know? um, I appreciate and, you being direct about that, by the way. I think people beat around the bush. Yeah, like, no, I think it's important. Because there is you no know, harm in being acquisition. But being you know, listen, if you, want, if you have people that are behind you and then they're there trying to get it to a point where we can sell it to, everyone's mm. motivated, you know, because everyone wants to make that check. You know what I mean? Okay. So like, Hey, like the faster we do this shit, like, you know, it's like, it's about building that box and putting any driver in that box. If you can put any driver in that box, like you'll be able to sell it. Like you'll be, you can sell it. Like, and if there's revenue attached to that, it's, it's, you're, you're getting acquired, you know, and this industry is, is an industry of consolidation and acquisition, right? (laughs) True. It, it is the biggest guys buy everyone else so like that's it it's funny you mentioned that because i, I just i just hit, uh, realized what's happening in fintech today is very similar to what happened 20 years ago like with all the consolidation of banks and you know consumer finance companies like uh, uh travelers inc yeah i mean uh, think about like so like if i go and take a bunch of stripes business and they're like hey like who's this little pipsqueak over here that's like making some of our business? Like, yeah. hey, actually, they're starting to be a thorn in our side. Like, let's just fucking. It's easier to just buy me than get rid of me. You know, it's like, right. just write me a check. I'm out of here. <laughs> like, hey, last question: How do you measure yourself every day? Um, I think you know, um, if you if you're taking steps, you want to just be taking steps forward. Right. So steps can be baby steps, you know, and projects are hard as shit. Like, so like, even though it feels like you don't want to take any steps backwards, right? If you're taking steps backwards, then, then you got to look at your organization and see what the fuck's going on. Because Mm -hmm. the more steps that you take backwards, the more people get scared, they'll abandon ship, the more people looking for titles and the leverage change. Right. So like Mm -hmm. you definitely, um, I measure myself, if, to, if it was successful, it's mm-hmm. because we made some steps forward. Whether how big or, big or small that step was, as long as it's going forward, mm-hmm. you're going in the right direction. That's how I, I don't know, that's how I measure if we're having success or not. Okay. Uh, Chase, do you have anything that you'd like to share before we wrap up for today? No, I mean, so anybody, you can get a hold of me, um, you know, on LinkedIn at Chase Harmer. Uh, you can get me at Chase at ProfitPay.io. Um, an email, or you can reach us at 855-247-3411. Talk to our team uh, or, or someone directly. So, yeah. Great. Yeah, you, just, you just put the call to action right there. Perfect. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> right Great. On, that, uh, thank you for coming today. Appreciate yeah. it. You got it, man. Look forward to it. Thanks, man.